Season 3 of Ding Dong Darkness Time is sponsored in part by Local Hero Press, a publisher of quality fiction. With its entire catalog available in audio, you can hear works such as Ian Thomas Healy's long-running and popular Just Cause universe of superhero novels. You can also grab Alison Dixon's terrifying novel Strings, yeah, that's me, and even Healy and Dixon's co-authored epic steampunk adventure The Oilman's Daughter. All local Hero Press audiobooks are available from Audible and iTunes, and you can find them in ebook and print from every online retailer, including Amazon and Smashwords, or ask your favorite indie bookstore to order you a copy. All you little ding-dongs who love a great read should visit localheropress.com for more information. Now, on with the show. do my hyped up hellions it's ding dong darkness time your one-stop shop for all things wth i'm your host allison dixon here to bring you another episode on cults now i'm no stranger to rolling solo here as many of you know but today is going to be a little different because this isn't a ding dong ditch episode I'm treading water into the deep end all by my lonesome for the first time doing a full-length episode As I've mentioned previously, the new format of this show is going to be a little more dynamic. While I have no shortage of amazing people willing to be guests here, sometimes coordinating schedules can be a real challenge, and that's especially true as we creep inexorably toward the holiday season. Am I strong enough to carry the weight of all this knowledge to you lovely listeners? Well, you know what? I'm going to be surprising for once and say yes. Not only that, but hell yes. I'm an expert-level introvert here. I've been observing humanity from shadowy corners and muttering to myself since I was old enough to speak. So, yeah, I think I got this. So, let's dive in, shall we? In order to give the season some sort of structure, my intention is for each episode to be a deep dive on a specific category of destructive cult. Doomsday, religious, survival, multi-level marketing, sex, and so on. And today, since we've just had a major election, I thought it would be a good time to talk about political cults. But I do want to make something clear. I'm not here to promote or disparage a specific political belief. Everything I'm going to talk about here applies just as easily to any Democrat, Republican, or shade of independent. And for my international listeners, this also goes for your own political parties. As I said back in the Primer episode, a destructive cult isn't so much about what it believes, it's about how it behaves. And these behaviors are all but universal across the belief spectrum. 
I want to refer to the BITE model of authoritarian control, which was pioneered by cult expert Stephen Hassan. Hassan has a very unique perspective on cults because he used to be the senior member of the Unification Church, a.k.a. the Moonies, which was formerly headed by Reverend Sun Myung Moon. In the 1970s, Hassan was rescued from the Moonies by his family after experiencing a near-fatal car accident caused by him falling asleep behind the wheel after days of sleep deprivation from cult activities. So I'm going to segue into the Moonies very shortly here, but first I want to talk about that BITE model. It's an acronym, and I'll go through each letter. The B stands for Behavior Control. That's where you regulate an individual's physical reality. You dictate where, how, and with whom the member lives and associates or isolates, when and how or with whom the member has sex, controls types of clothing and hairstyles. They may regulate the diet, food and drink, hunger and or fasting. You might see manipulation and deprivation of sleep as Stephen himself experienced. You'll have financial exploitation, manipulation, or dependence, restrict leisure, restrict entertainment or vacation time, uh, major time spent with group indoctrination and rituals and or self-indoctrination, including the internet. They regulate permission required for major decisions. There will be rewards and punishment used to modify behaviors, both positive and negative. They discourage individualism and encourage groupthink. There are usually rigid rules and regulations for conformity. And disobedience is often punished um, by beating, torture, cutting, sometimes rape or branding. I mean, it just spans the gap here. All these things used to help manipulate and control the behavior of the cult member. The I stands for information control, and that is through the use of deception. They will either deliberately withhold information or distort information to make it appear more acceptable. They will systematically lie to the member. Um, they will minimize or discourage access to non-cult sources of information, including internet, TV, radio, books, newspapers. They will be restricted from critical information as to how the cult inner workings actually operate. And they'll often keep members so busy that they don't have time to think for themselves or investigate things any further. Uh, they will also encourage spying on other members to inform on them if they are doing anything deviant or having uh, any other thoughts, feelings, or actions that could be a threat to the leadership. There is an extensive use of cult-generated information and propaganda uh, which also includes newspapers, magazines, journals, audio tapes, YouTube, movies, and other media. They'll misquote or misattribute statements or use them out of context in order to manipulate people. You will also see an unethical use of confession about sins and other things that will dissolve uh, identity boundaries, withhold forgiveness or absolution, and they'll manipulate your memory, possibly even implant false memories, gaslighting, things like that. Make anything that will make people doubt what they're seeing and hearing and sort of override the cognitive dissonance. And then the T stands for thought control, requires members to internalize the group's doctrine as truth. 
You will adopt the group's map of reality as your own reality. They will instill black and white thinking. They will force you to decide between good and evil or make other very binary choices. They will organize you into us versus them scenarios, insiders versus outsiders. Often you will see name changes or changes in their overall identity. And again, the use of loaded language and cliches, which are meant to constrict knowledge or stop critical thinking in its tracks. And they will encourage only good and proper thoughts. And they will sometimes also use hypnotic techniques to alter your mental state, to undermine, again, your critical thinking process, and even to age regress the member, depending on the cult. And memories can also be manipulated and false memories created. Again, there are so many different thought-stopping techniques to shut down uh, reality testing by stopping negative thoughts and only allowing positive thoughts, including denial, rationalization, justification, wishful thinking. They will do things like chanting, meditating, praying, speaking in tongues, singing or humming, any of that sort of internal language that makes you feel part of the group and that reinforces it in your brain. The repetition is part of the indoctrination process. And there will be a rejection of any rational analysis or critical thinking, any sort of criticism. There will not be any questioning the leader or the doctrine or policy allowed. Labeling alternative belief systems as illegitimate or evil or not useful. Essentially, these are all the ways that your mind becomes completely indoctrinated by the cult by controlling your thoughts and stopping your critical thinking process. And finally, the E stands for emotional control, where they manipulate and narrow your range of feelings. Some of your emotions or your needs will be deemed as evil or wrong or selfish. And they'll teach you to stop your emotions or block your feelings of regret or missing your friends and family or any other doubt or anger or resentment you might have. And they'll make you feel like your problems are your fault and that it's not the leader or the group causing you to feel this way. It's your own inadequacy. You're not trying hard enough. And they'll promote those feelings of guilt or unworthiness in order to enhance your dependency on them. I have it all wrong. Please help me figure out how to set it right. And you become more dependent on them. And they'll also do this by turning you against your family, helping you to perceive them as standing in the way of salvation. And they will also make you afraid to think independently and view the outside world as an enemy. Additionally, they will manipulate your emotions by making you fearful of losing your salvation or losing out on the secret to success. So that's the bite model. And Hassan also says on this list that he has on his white, uh, website, freedomofmind.com, that destructive mind control can be determined when the overall effect of these four components promotes dependency and obedience to some leader or cause. It is not necessary for every single item that uh, I've mentioned here to be present in order for mind control techniques to be happening here. And Another thing that he emphasizes is that this is neither inherently good or evil. If my control techniques used to empower a person to have more choice and authority for their life, for themselves, the effects of this can be beneficial. He uses benevolent mind control 
to help people quit smoking, for instance, um, as long as it doesn't affect their other behavior. Uh, Mind control becomes destructive whenever it undermines a person's ability to think and act independently. There's always that risk there whenever you start engaging in some of this repeated ritualistic behavior. And it's something you always kind of have to stop yourself and check yourself and say, am I thinking for myself? Am I becoming uh, more entwined with this sort of destructive thinking process? And as I said before, the BITE model can be applied to most organizations considered destructive cults, but political cults are uniquely dangerous. When authoritarian organizations hell-bent on mind control infiltrate governments, the cult is no longer isolated in a danger only to itself and its members. It becomes dangerous for everyone, including people who've never even heard of the cult. If you're just the citizen of a country whose leadership has fallen under the influence or is at least willing to do the bidding of a powerful cult in exchange for money and increased power, the consequences can be detrimental and even deadly. Already, I can feel a lot of you wanting me to talk about perhaps the most famous contemporary version of such a cult at work across the globe today, QAnon. After all, we have current members of Congress and even a former president regularly giving shout outs to followers of Q. It was a main driving force for the deadly attack on the nation's capital on January 6th, 2021. And the cult is so insidious, it's difficult to even gauge the true scale of its following. We only know that thanks to the engine of social media, beliefs such as the world being controlled by a deep state consisting of Satan worshipping pedophiles have been able to spread farther and wider than they ever would have otherwise. That said, I do firmly believe that while we have our eyes on the insane delusional right-wing antics of QAnon, simply because they're currently the loudest and shiniest in the pack, we're taking our eyes off of other organizations that have spent the last several decades insinuating themselves among us under the guise of a benign and benevolent religious organization, one that appears to be a strong advocate for democracy, peace, and family values. Those are the sorts of buzzwords that bend the ear of almost any politician, especially if that group has money to throw their way. And boy, do they ever. This organization is known under a few names, the first being Holy Spirit Association for the Unification of World Christianity. That's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> then in 1994, it changed its name to the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification. It's more commonly referred to as the Unification Church, but it's also more widely known as the Moonies because of the name of its founder, Reverend Sun Myung Moon. The term Mooney was coined by the media in the 1970s and was embraced for some time by Moon himself, but eventually they came to see it as pejorative and went through a huge PR campaign to scrub it away. Most people, whenever they think of the Moonies, might automatically conjure up the vision of thousands of couples being simultaneously married at a baseball stadium or the like. I'll definitely talk about those blessing ceremonies in a bit, but first let's lay down the brass tacks. Sun Myung Moon was not the man's original name. He was born Mun Yong Myung in 1920, and please forgive me for mispronouncing any of these names, by the way. Originally, his family were Confucianists, but they converted to Christianity and joined the Presbyterian Church when Moon was around 10 years old. 
He and his first wife practiced and preached together and worked on unification efforts between North and South Korea. Moon traveled alone to North Korea on a mission in 1945, where he was arrested for being a spy for the South and sentenced to five years in a labor camp. And it seems like this prison sentence, as well as the Korean War, seemed to have sown the seed of Moon's strong anti-communist sentiments. He came to see the Cold War as a fight between God and Satan. I'm sure you can piece together which side he saw himself and God on. But not only that, his home country being literally divided by these forces served his view that Korea was the front line of this spiritual war. A few years after that, he was released. He founded the Holy Spirit Association for the Unification of World Christianity in South Korea in 1954. I should note, however, that a year prior to that, he divorced his first wife. It wouldn't be until 1960 when he would marry the woman that became the true mother to his true father, Hak Ja Han. They are known to their adherents as the true parents. So what do these folks believe exactly? I need to boil this down to the basics because this is only going to be one episode and I don't want it to be four hours long. And to be frank, you'd have to join the cult to get the fuller scope of all the Mooney teachings. But I think we can definitely give you the main idea here. So Moon devised a text called The Divine Principle, which seeks to unite all religions into one overarching theology, with Moon, of course, having appointed himself as the Messiah not so much as a replacement for Jesus as a successor sent to complete the work Jesus failed to do because he was crucified. If you ever wondered how you could somehow come off more egomaniacal than someone literally calling themselves Jesus Christ, there you go. Anyway, if you wondered whether Eve takes the brunt of the blame for the fall of humanity, you won't be disappointed. But it's not because she ate from the tree of knowledge. She and Adam instead engaged in sexual intercourse, which changed the inherent relationship between humanity and God, allowing Satan into the mix. From there, evil begat evil and the fall of man commenced. And this is why, of course, we have the gays, which should answer your question as to whether the unificationists are fans of the LGBT plus community. The short answer is no, they aren't. They're full tilt, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve up in here. See, since God made man and woman in his image, the only perfection is the unity of a man and a woman. Anyway, the entire mission of this is the restoration of humanity to God's image. We unite all religions under the same moral doctrines. We all worship the same God. We follow the same sexual customs. We all believe the same science, speak the same language, become one united human race. You know what this kind of sounds like to me? Communism. And that's the ultimate irony, is it not? For a religious movement whose main pillar is democracy and the destruction of godless communism, they seem hella intent on creating a theocracy, which is antithetical as hell to the democratic process. It's almost as if Moon saw what was the hottest ticket at the time he formed his church in the 1950s, a period defined by blacklisting anyone who batted their eyelashes in the direction of Marx and Lenin. It was his ticket into the cultural zeitgeist and the political spheres of the West, and it helped him gain favor with Republican leadership here in the United States, especially once Moon moved over here in the 1970s. By this point, 
His church was taking off here by leaps and bounds thanks to relentless missionary work. He was giving massive public speeches in places like Madison Square Garden and Yankee Stadium. He even managed to attract more than 300,000 people to the Washington Monument to give a speech called God's Hope for America. And he was quick to ingratiate himself with Republican all-stars like Bob Dole and Richard Nixon amid accusations by anti-cult movements at the time that he was brainwashing his followers. This, of course, gave him even more credibility as a legitimate religious leader. All this, of course, while he and his wife are conducting these mass wedding ceremonies, largely between people who've never met previously. But of course, what better way to build your following, am I right? Whenever you simultaneously marry thousands of people or consecrate their already existing vows, some of these mass weddings actually consisted of people who were already married, who were looking to renew their vows, and perfect strangers who had only met that day that were matched by Moon. And these marriages that happened weren't legal yet, but then they were later legalized in the state according to those particular laws. Of course, what happens whenever those people are married? They have kids. You're already bringing a whole new generation into your movement. And not much stood in his way when, in 1977, the United States House of Representatives Subcommittee on International Organizations found that the Unification Church was actually established by the director of the Korean Central Intelligence Agency, Kim Chong-pil, as a way to gain political influence in the United States. They also investigated the church's effect on the support of Richard Nixon during the Watergate scandal. So the 70s was rife with a massive anti-cult movement. But at the same time, the Moonies seemed to be very Teflon-coated, None of this stuff was really sticking, and they were gaining more and more influence thanks to the fact that Moon just knew how to get in with the powerful people of D.C. And this political following also came in handy when Moon was ultimately convicted of tax evasion in 1982. He served 13 months in federal prison. And figures like evangelical heavyweight and head of the moral majority, Jerry Falwell, as well as Eugene McCarthy, who was a former Democratic presidential candidate, came to his defense, calling the prosecution of Moon unfair and selective. If anything, it only strengthened his following. But the Moonies weren't slowing down by any means. Once the good reverend was out of prison, he continued his work of spreading the influence of the Unification Church, even moving into former communist countries in the wake of the fall of the Soviet Union in the early 1990s. In 1994, Reverend Moon declared the end of the era of the Holy Spirit Association for the Unification of World Christianity, and he changed the name to something not all that much shorter or easier to memorize, the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification. The aim of this change was to bring people from other religions into the Mooney fold, in particular, those who shared the church's deeply conservative worldview. The media criticized the organization for being a theocratic powerhouse that is dumping largely foreign money into far-right political operations, not only here in the United States, but abroad. Moon was largely reported to have a personal relationship with on-again, off-again Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Indeed, the Unification Church's influence is so wide that their events, usually held under the name of one of the church's many front groups intended to disguise them as non-sectarian, 
have been attended by the likes of President George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush at a major event in Tokyo in 1994. And also the Unification Church donated over a million dollars to the George Bush Library. But it continues well into today, even a decade after Reverend Moon's death from pneumonia in 2012. His wife, Hak Jahan, and several of their 14 children continue to run various offshoots of the church today. Mike Pence, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and former House Speaker Newt Gingrich gave speeches at an event in 2021, which claimed the era of Christianity is over. By that, of course, they mean that the New Testament has failed, and the only recourse is for the Unification Church and its tenets to replace Christianity. Newt Gingrich was also there to lend praise to the Washington Times newspaper, which Reverend Moon founded to be a mouthpiece for the church and its aims. And I want to make something very clear here. These leaders who are attending these events, they're getting massive speaking fees. When George H.W. Bush spoke at one of these events in the 90s. He made over $800,000, which after some criticism, he actually donated. But a lot of these other people are not even releasing the amount of money that they've made because I think they know that it would be horrifying to many people, but they are in effect doing it for the money, for the power. They're not necessarily believers in any of the religion that is being espoused here. In 2022, former President Donald Trump and Pompeo, as well as former Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper, gave speeches at another Mooney-affiliated event in Seoul, Korea, coinciding with the 10-year anniversary of Reverend Moon's death. It also took place only weeks after the assassination of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, whose family has had long ties with the church. Abe was also a regular speaker at UC events. In fact, we should probably talk about Japan and all of this because as wrapped up as many American politicians and other powerful conservative figures are within the Unification Church and its many offshoots, the entanglement is especially troublesome in Japan. So the activities of the Unification Church in Japan has been recognized as a huge problem since about the 1980s. And the problem is that the members of the church over there tend to use people's anxieties to force them to buy in with actual money. They'll buy pots and seals and they will force people to marry and they sometimes will use uh, things like ancestral belief or knowledge like your ancestors will look down on you or they're not proud of you if you don't do this. It's a very bad form of manipulation. And Historically, according to Wikipedia, Japan has provided 70% of the Unification Church's income, which is massive. I would say that that makes them the king of the UC superfans. Uh, Stephen Hassan, whom I mentioned earlier, who also has worked as an exit counselor for people from this church, he was also involved in these spiritual sales, quote unquote, where parishioners would scan obituaries and go knocking on people's door and saying to them, your dead loved one is communicating with us. So please go to the bank and send money to the Unification Church so your loved one can ascend to heaven in the spiritual world. And of course, they're exploiting the labor and capital of their followers, including billions of dollars transferred from Japan to the United States to build a business empire. This is 
all a part of an article written by Tak J. Lee, a professor at Busan Presbyterian University. He said the Unification Church is fighting over religious principles on the surface, but money in reality. There is also an article written by Yoshikazu Sojima, a senior official of the Unification Church, and he revealed the inside story of the Unification Church in a magazine called Bungje Shunju. And please, again, forgive my pronunciations here. And this was released on June 10th of 1984. According to Sojima, over 10 years in the 1970s, about 200 billion yen in donations from Japanese believers were sent to South Korea. In addition, about $800 million were transferred from Japan to the United States in the nine years up to 1984. And as an extra ghastly twist here, Sojima was stabbed several times in front of his house on June 2nd, just before the magazine was released. He almost died, but police very conveniently could not find the assailant. In 1987, about 300 lawyers in Japan apparently set up an organization called the National Network of Lawyers Against Spiritual Sales to help people who were forced to make expensive donations or forced to buy expensive things like pots and seals. I had to look up to see what a seal was, and it's actually a carved emblem that's used of course, to like seal a package. If, if you think of like a wax seal, it is an emblem designed to represent the entity sending that document or that package. And apparently these are very important to protect the um, authenticity of something as well. And so they would sell these items to uh, people in Japan. Anyway, according to uh, statistics compiled by the lawyers between 1987 and 2021, the association and local government consumer centers received 34,537 complaints alleging that the Unification Church had forced them to make unreasonably large donations or to spend large amounts of money, amounting to about 123.7 billion yen. And I just looked up the conversion rate for 123 billion yen to U.S. dollars, and it's just a little over $881 million. And they've also talked about civil court cases in Japan where they've issued a number of rulings to the Unification Church to pay compensation to the plaintiffs, uh, saying that the missionary work is not legal. There have been also various criminal cases related to church members In 2009, Tokyo District Court sentenced Unification Church members to prison for forcing victims to buy expensive seals. The court ruled that the missionary work was a pernicious act of forcing the victim to buy a seal immediately after instigating the victim's anxiety by linking the victim's worries with the victim's ancestral past for a long time. So again, this is some crazy stuff. There is a lot of extortion going on, a lot of coercion going on, and a lot of money flowing into the Unification Church's coffers. The National Network of Lawyers Against Spiritual Sales reported that victims were cheated out of about 300 million yen in 2021. And Hiroshima Yamaguchi, a lawyer for that network, refuted the claim made by the Unification Church at the press conference, saying the Unification Church should consider the pain and tragedy of the families and its followers. The Unification Church has bankrupted many of its followers. Another lawyer, Yasao Kawai, accused Japanese politicians and administrators of taking no action against the Unification Church, which disintegrates families for more than 30 years. Kito Masaki called for Japan's national diet, which is their parliament, 
to conduct an investigation of the case bipartisanly. And according to the Japanese Communist Party newspaper Akata for the Unification Church, Japan has a history of aggression against Korea, therefore has an obligation to serve Korea and as atonement, which is actually referred to as indemnity within the Unification Church lingo, collection of money by fortune-telling fraud is imposed. And according to the National Association of Parents of Victims of Moonism, that's the name of the organization, it was formed by parents of Unification Church members. The Unification Church's doctrines make Japanese people the target of Unification Church's fundraising efforts by disseminating a doctrine which depicts Korea as the Adam nation and Japan as the Eve nation that committed sins and therefore is obliged to pay money to the people of Korea. This is mind-boggling to me. <laughs> According to Hassan, Moon's theology is that Korea is the Adam country, the home of the ruling race destined to rule the world, and Japan is the Eve country, subordinate to Korea. According to him, the church preached that Moon was appointed to save humanity after Eve fell from grace by having sexual relations with Satan. Again, what is it with these women? Am I right? According to Yoshifu Arita, a former journalist and member of the House of Counselors who is investigating the Unification Church, the church is taking advantage of Japanese youth's sense of guilt for Japan's colonial rule of Korea and defrauding them of money. So we really get a sense of how deeply entwined Japan is with Korea, and it has everything to do with their very deep history together as with colonialism and war and all that. It is a very kind of messed up form of manipulating an entire country of people, like one country manipulating the other saying, hey, you owe us. That leads directly to, and this leads directly to the assassination of former prime minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, whom I mentioned before, um, has had ties with the Unification Church. And also his grandfather was a big member. And in 2019, that National Network of Lawyers Against Spiritual Sales released a document protesting Abe sending congratulatory messages to events organized by the Unification Church and its affiliated organizations. And they have feared that Abe's message would give authority to the Unification Church and encourage its quote-unquote, antisocial activities. So in July of 2022, Abe was assassinated by a young man named Tetsuya Yamagami. And his motives were apparently not politically motivated. It was also the fact that he strongly believed the Unification Church ruined his life because his mother was forced to make large donations to the church. She joined the Unification Church in 1998. She sold the land that she inherited from her family, along with the house where she and her three children lived. In June of 1999, she ended up donating about 100 million yen, or about $720,000, to the Unification Church. That's just one donation, just to give you an idea of how much money these people are bringing in. And this donation, of course, led to her family's bankruptcy in 2002, Additionally, Yamagami was unable to attend college because he couldn't afford it, even though he went to a prestigious high school. And his brother and father would end up committing suicide. He stated that his plan was actually to assassinate Hak Jahan, the widow of Sun Myung Moon. 
but he wasn't able to get close enough to her. And so he set his sights then on Shinzo Abe because he believed that Abe and his grandfather, Nobosuke Kishi, would spread the Unification Church further in Japan. And so he decided to kill Abe after discovering online that Abe had sent video messages to the Unification Church and their related organizations. So we're already seeing all the ways in which this organization led to the assassination of a major world leader by somebody whose very life was destroyed by this organization. And as of now, apparently the current ruling party in Japan, of which Shinzo Abe was the member, that would be the far right liberal democratic party, which sounds like a a very much a contradiction in terms in this country. Um, They have announced that it will expel its members if they don't break ties with the Unification Church. They are starting to fully own up to the fact that the church was responsible for Abe's assassination, as well as for countless ruined lives. So it's a lot, right? And would you believe that I've only begun to scratch the surface here? I've only mentioned the political influence because the attention of this episode is to highlight a political cult. But I haven't even really delved into the human costs here, the countless families who lost their loved ones after being shunned as non-believers, the generations of children born directly into this organization from parents who were paired as strangers at these mass weddings, many of whom spent years in enforced work programs, selling flowers on street corners, or even more hard labor as a way to garner new recruits. And there are so many sad stories that I uncovered from former members who dealt with anorexia, addiction, and so much more after they tried to sever their ties and learn how to function in a world outside the cult. And there's also the Byzantine kingdom of related organizations and businesses owned by the church, the Family Peace Association, the Universal Peace Federation, several interfaith organizations like the Assembly of World Religions, the Interreligious Federation for World Peace, the American Clergy Leadership Conference, a dozen or more educational organizations and seminaries, art organization like the New York City Symphony and various ballet companies and dance schools, both there and abroad, sports organizations like two soccer teams in Brazil and the Peace Cup soccer tournament. They're also involved in the Korean automotive industry. They own hospitals in Japan and Korea. They have their hands in building materials manufacturing. I already mentioned their media empire and Moon's founding of the Washington Times newspaper, but he also established News World Communications, which owned several newspapers published in Spanish-speaking countries and the Middle East. They also once owned the American Life TV cable channel. They also have dozens of organizations aimed at consulting with the United Nations on various religious freedom and other interreligious work. And get this, if you happen to enjoy sushi and you happen to live in a state that isn't adjacent to an ocean, you can probably thank Reverend Moon for that too. Back in the 1970s, when Moon moved here, he wanted to help increase the popularity of sushi in America. At the time, Americans weren't big on the whole raw fish on rice deal. But as Japanese immigration to the U.S. picked up, Moon saw an opportunity to bring tuna to the people. He gave a major speech slash sermon in New York called The Way of the Tuna and then bought up a major food conglomerate called True World Foods, which began supplying sushi-grade tuna to restaurants all over the country. 
Add to the fact that Hollywood celebrities were making sushi a thing, and there you go. True World Foods is still very much in existence and has a location in nearly every American state. You can find a full list of businesses and organizations the church owns or is affiliated with at Stephen Hassan's website, again, freedomofmind.com. I'll have all kinds of links available, by the way, in the show notes. And mind you, all of these companies and organizations I've mentioned here, as well as the dozens of ones that I haven't, have gone a very long way toward funding the aims of the Unification Church, maintaining that huge financial pipeline that funds speakers with the caliber of a U.S. president. But perhaps the most frightening way the Unification Church has remained relevant is the way it's catered to the very modern and recent ultra-right extremism that threatened to overturn the election of 2020. Reverend Moon's son, Sean, founded an offshoot of the church called Rod of Iron, which refers to the AR-15s they quite literally worship. So according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Rod of Iron is an anti-government Christian and far-right movement, and they have a yearly freedom festival that is attended by luminaries like Steve Bannon and John Lott, a discredited researcher who briefly served in the Justice Department. He likes to use very dubious research to claim undocumented immigrants commit more crime. And then there's Richard Mack, who's the founder of the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, a group that claims that sheriffs have more power than the federal government. So that's pretty nice. But then we look at Sean Moon himself, who is the reverend. He's decked out in this camouflage blazer with a gold AR-15 and a gold crown of bullets. And he stands on this majestic mountaintop as this staunchly pro-Second Amendment god. And Moon apparently made headlines in 2018 when he oversaw a blessing ceremony for sanctuary church members and their assault rifles, which Moon views as biblical rods of iron that he believes were referred to in the book of Revelation. And that you will need them to rule the coming heavenly kingdom built by his followers here on earth. And I watched a video on this on Vice News on YouTube and During that, Moon claims that he wears this suit and all this as a quote-unquote fun way to talk about serious issues. And of course, his issues include calling left-wing politics political Satanism and telling his followers godly people quote-unquote have to fight communism, focusing on the quote spiritual nature of the battle to re-elect former President Donald Trump and claiming Capitol Police and Antifa made a battle to quote instigate and try to make Trumpers look bad on January 6th. And of course, both Moon and several of his followers attended the January 6th Capitol riot. In fact, one of his followers said in a now deleted Facebook post, we are storming the Capitol. Our vanguard has broken through the barricades. We will save this nation. Are you with me? And this follower, by the way, is former Pennsylvania state rep Rick Saccone, who is seen uh, in a January 6th photo with Pennsylvania State Senator Doug Mastriano, who has also appeared at Rod of Iron events, according to Vice. And of course, none of these men have faced any charges for attending the January 6th riot. So the Sanctuary Church has been deemed uh, by various cult experts as a cult. And Rod of Iron Ministries is a, quote, troublesome movement. 
And of course, various conservative Christian pastors have widely associated with Moon, and they call for a revival of, quote, a black-robed regiment, a group of New England pastors who fought the British in the American Revolution. Moon supports that regiment and wears a black-robed regiment patch on his vest. And according, again, to the Southern Poverty Law Center article, the mixture of Christian pastors and far-right anti-government groups under the rod of iron banner is disturbing, said Jonathan Den Hartog, a scholar who specializes in American political and religious history and serves as a chair of history department at Samford University, a private Christian university in Birmingham, Alabama. And of course, the stories about the Black Robed Regiment have very little grounding in reality. But when you combine the influence and the money and the power of the Moon family and the Moon name with this offshoot, with these very high profile right wing people, you can sense that there is a massive tide of right wing thought and radicalization out there. And it's being forwarded and funded largely by this cult. So this is a very long and winding rabbit hole, as you can see. I'm sure this won't be the only time I mention the Moonies this season, but I certainly hope this was a big enough bite for you to gnaw on. And also, this is but one such organization out to use its massive wealth and influence to buy politicians and elections. And of course, that's without mentioning that many of the politicians themselves have or are creating cults of personality. It's an easy line to cross when you think about it. Politicians in particular have to be charismatic leaders in order to amass voters. And when they combine it with a particular brand of authoritarianism, they can become quite appealing to people who are seeking strength and security from those in charge, from Stalin to Hitler to Chairman Mao and Jair Bolsonaro to Donald Trump. History is filled with the heavy, bloody boot marks of strongmen with fanatical followings who are seeking a taste of their own power and sense of destiny through the work of their leaders. Even George Washington saw the dangers of hyperpartisanship extending into cult-like worship of political figures. It was the main reason he refused to pick a political party during his two terms in office. In his farewell address, which was also written with the help of Alexander Hamilton, Washington said, If Americans cared more about whether their party wins than maintaining democratic structures, a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community could manipulate the masses through a demagogic leader to subvert the power of the people and usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. Sometimes I think it would be great to have another George Washington, but in these modern times when cult-like followings seem to be growing about as common as TikTok dances, I'm not so sure that would be a good thing. One last bit before signing off, I'm answering cult questions submitted by listeners. This week's question comes from Renee, who asks what my feeling is on the phrase drinking the Kool-Aid which refers to the 900 or so people of Jonestown who consumed a cyanide-laced sugary drink and died at the behest of their leader, Jim Jones. Of course, the drink was Flavor-Aid, not Kool-Aid, but my general feeling on the saying is it's highly insensitive. It also insinuates the people of Jonestown willingly consumed the poison when many of them did so under duress or force. Even the ones who didn't were also murdered by a madman intent on controlling his flock right up until he slaughtered them. 
I prefer when using flippant language about a destructive cult to direct it at their opportunistic, often sociopathic leaders who've mastered all the techniques necessary to control people. Anyway, that's all for this week. If you have any questions at all about what I've covered here, or you want to ask me something I can answer on the show, don't hesitate to reach out. You can always send an email to ddarknesstime at gmail.com or seek me out on the Facebook page or over on Twitter under the handle ddarknesstime. As always, if you've left a review on iTunes or are on your way right now to do so, I truly appreciate you. Next week is Thanksgiving here in the States, so I'll bring you a short something to nibble on, maybe while you're waiting for your turkey to finish defrosting. Until then, go forth and be awesome. Ding Dong Darkness Time has been brought to you and produced by yours truly, Allison Dixon. It was made possible by an array of amazing co-hosts, friends, family, but especially you, the listeners. Big shouts also go out to the brilliant Nathaniel Dixon for the show art and future legend Spencer Morlock for all the music. I'll be back again soon with another episode. In the meantime, be good, you little ding-dongs.